Jesus for more of him, less of me, more of him. And I just want you to join with, I just feel like we need to pray before we start anything, before we get into the word. We're gonna be in Luke chapter five. I want you to just make a mark there, verse 33, all the way through chapter six, one through 11. We're just making our way through the gospel of Luke. This series we are just launching out today in the middle of this is called Upside Down, but we'll get to that in just a second. Father, we pray. We pray, God, for your Holy Spirit to do the teaching. God, we realize in this part of our world and this, this culture, that we live in, God, we, we need this desperation for you. We want to be more desperate for you, God. Jesus, we want you to be our everything. We want the world and the flesh and all that stuff to be secondary, God. We want you to be primary. And so, God, we pray that your spirit would come in and work on our hearts, God, that you're the only one that can change our hearts. God, if you could open up Lydia's heart in the book of Acts, you can open up any heart here today. And so, God, we submit ourselves, we humble ourselves, we are expecting. God, for you to do something amazing in our hearts, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all the people of God say, amen, amen. I'm just so glad we have a worship leader who's happy. Do you just want to just thank God for him? Mark is our worship director. You know, he just, he puts his heart and soul into this. You can just see, he just loves God. He's got a testimony and a story I wish I could share with you. We had time, but he almost lost his life as a young child. God saved him where the doctor said there's nothing else we can do. And that's why he's just so happy. That's why he's just so joyful, like Jesus is my everything. And I just love the guy and I'm just grateful for him. On that note, uh, he has a passion, as we all do at MVCC, to worship God. God's given us a vehicle of music to do that. And so on March 15th, it's a Tuesday night, if you didn't um, hear the announcement, uh, uh, Judd Harris from Vertical Worship, he's going to be our guest worship leader. He's awesome. He's got really cool hair, um, but you got to come and be here. It's going to be 7 p.m. And it's just, it, it's not about really music or any one person. It's just that God does use certain people to facilitate us to get to God. And this is what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to be here. If you need more of God and more of his spirit, you got to be here at worship night because there's something that happens in the supernatural. When we connect with God from our hearts to do what he said, praise me, sing to me, sing a new song to me, something happens down here on earth when we touch heaven. God opens up a little bit of heaven on earth when we worship him. So again, I, I really want you to come and bring some people with you. Let's pack this place out and just worship Jesus. Amen. Also, guys, just for the men, March 26th, it's a Saturday, 7 a.m., we're having men's breakfast. This particular breakfast, we just want to ask all the guys to come. It's going to be some great food and all that, but aside from the food, um, just men gathering together, we need one another. Women need some women to help, you know, women walk with Jesus. Guys, we need the guys to rally around us and encourage us. Would you agree? So uh, we're calling this particular one on uh, Saturday, March 26th, Man Up. And so we're just asking the guys to step up, take responsibility, live for God, live for your family, and live for your church. 
And so we're going to be talking about that. Uh, Jeff Walling, Pastor Jeff is our guest speaker. He is awesome. I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> Can somebody come fix this for me? Oh my goodness. See, I'm so excited about what God's going to do. I'm like, what the world just happened? That's the first time that's ever happened to me. That's weird. Thank you so much, Pastor Zach. Man, you are awesome, dude. Thank you. Yeah. Can you tell my wife that? Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad we, we get to be together around the word. In this place of South County, we really have a live in kind of a bubble. We live in kind of a shelter. Um, we are not as desperate as some of the people halfway around the world are right now in this very moment in the Ukraine. And so I want to just touch on this moment because obviously we all know what's going on, but I wanted you to meet some folks that are very special to us and our ministry here. Uh, about five years ago, there was a husband and wife, Sasha and Slava, they're from Russia, and they're Russian-speaking and also English-speaking, and they asked, you know, we want to reach the Russian people here in South County, we want to start a church, and so would you help us? We need a place to meet. So we said, absolutely. We talked and got to know one another, and we just felt like the Lord was doing that, and we thank God for what you're doing. People are coming to Jesus through their ministry. They meet here on Sunday nights, they use our fellowship center, but it's not just about the building. We really join heart to heart. Does that make sense? So they share the heart that we have of getting people saved. We want everyone to know Jesus and we want everyone to walk with Jesus. So through their ministry, um, as you know what's going on in the Ukraine, they are actively um, participating in serving and reaching the people of Ukraine and helping them in any way possible. Um, and so I wanted just to invite you guys up because I wanted you to kind of just share uh, a little bit about what God is doing through you. And would you just help me welcome, this is Pastor Sasha, Pastor Slava. Um, and I know that um, you folks have some family that are in Ukraine, they're Russian, but they're in the Ukraine. They're Ukrainian, okay. And so um, would you just tell us a little bit about your family and how they're doing so we can be praying? Yes, uh, thank you very much. Uh, we are actually from Ukraine. We uh, almost 20 years ago went as missionaries to Moscow to, to start a church there in Moscow. But we are from Ukraine, so all our families are in Ukraine. We have some relatives in Russia, but our families in Ukraine, yes. They are uh, right now, our parents, they are in the western Ukraine, so they are okay. Uh, so they have just... Uh, air alarms in the night and they are going to basements to, to be safe. But our other relatives, they're in other parts of Ukraine. Thank you for letting us know that. I know that's very dear to your heart with your family there. So we'll be, number one, we want to pray for that. Would you please tell us, because I know that your church has been reaching out um, to the Ukrainian people by sending supplies and things. Could you just tell us a little bit about that? I know there's some pictures up here that you sent from what's happening uh, in this very moment, but could you share with us what uh, your, the Russian fellowship is doing to reach the Ukrainian people. So right now, all our community, like who understands Russian, it's people from Russia, Ukraine, Be Belarus, and Kazakhstan, and other countries. We are gathering humanitarian aid, and um, uh, there is a problem with uh, getting things to Ukraine, to Poland, actually, because there are no flights available. So one Ukrainian company, they. Um, uh, accept donation in order to uh, send all this uh, aid that we already collected, that's a lot, uh, to Poland. And after, uh, from Poland, it is going uh, straight to 
in Western Ukraine, where the government uh, decides where to send everything needed. Uh, so that's what we are participating in also. And um, we have many connections with different pastor, pastors around Ukraine, our friends that we know for many years. And uh, right now we support two churches, two big churches in uh, uh, those uh, cities. They are uh, surrounded by Russian uh, army. Uh, and they have very bad situation. They're sitting in basements all these days. And um, this is church in Kharkiv and in Sumy, uh, two churches. Uh, so they, uh, volunteers, they are uh, searching around the, tar uh, the cities every day in order to find food because the cities are surrounded. So they do not have enough food supply to the city. So they're searching in order to uh, get as much as they can and make uh, food, prepare food and uh, uh, help elderly people and help uh, people in need, uh, people with small kids. And also they support orphanages uh, that uh, just left with any support uh, mm. these days. Uh, so what we can do, we just uh, collect money uh, in order to send to them because even if some organization, they send money to their church accounts, they can't spend it. They can't get cash from those accounts and they can't pay with, with those money. So uh, everything that we can do, we just can send to their private accounts to different bank cards for them to buy food. And you can see on those pictures, they distribute it to, to people that, that they can reach. Mm -hmm. Well, I just want to say, um, you know, on behalf of our fellowship to you, thank you so much for standing for truth, for what is right, and doing what Jesus told us to do with compassion and love and taking care. And we'll um, talk later about how maybe we can assist what you're doing because we really want to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this horrible, horrific situation. I just, I heard on the news this morning, even unfortunately, mothers are pregnant mothers giving birth to their children in these basements and stuff. So thank you so much for what you're doing. And could you pray for us? I just wanted to ask if you could pray for us here in our Western um, culture that we would you know, remember them, pray for them, but also the fire of the Holy Spirit would come and fill us um, with this desperation that I know they have for their very lives in, in Jesus. So, Yes, I just wanted, when we were uh, worshiping, I had that thought that um, last, like last night, I saw my friend, she's Christian, she's serving in the, in the church, and she posted that I occasionally... Uh, understood that it's Sunday today because they have time change. So I, I thought that we are so like happy that we know that it's Sunday and, and mm. we can go to church. Mm. And they they just they just count their first day, second, tenth day of war. They don't know what day is it. Mm. So I just want us to be uh, more grateful mm. for what we have and where we are. Yes. Um, and um, of course. To pray for um, nation of Ukraine, for people, for them to be safe, to evacuate if they need it, because many people, they can't ev evacuate for now. Hmm. So let's pray and, and believe and help how we can. Thank you. Yes. yes. Do you want me to pray? Yes. yes. Okay. Father God, we, we, we pray to you for, for people of Ukraine, for us to, uh, to have hearts for Ukraine and to, to send our help as much as we can, God. And we, we, we also pray for uh, Russian people because we know that they do not understand what is happening in Ukraine. They, they don't believe us. They believe TV and we pray for, the, for their eyes to open. Yes. Uh, God, thank you so much that you support your... your kids, your, your children in Ukraine, and you help them to be safe. And we also pray to stop this war in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Thank you so much. Thank you. So, um, Sasha is the pastor there at the Russian church, and he speaks Russian, but on English, we didn't want to take too much time in translation, but I didn't want you to think, who is that masked man standing there? We love you. Thank you. If you have your Bibles open to Luke 5, we're going to just continue on in verse 33. Before we read the text, Jesus is talking here in this text about the purity of the gospel. There's nothing in this world that compares to the message and the, me- the message of, the, of Jesus Christ in the cross. Amen. When I was a uh, senior in high school, uh, I was a junior in high school. Uh, we played tennis all the time on the weekends. That was like our idol, our God. And that's, the, the sports was all it for me. I didn't know the Lord at the time, didn't have any inclination of church life or Jesus or anything. All I cared about was my life. And so my friends, we would gather together from the tennis team and par- we'd you know, party on the weekends and do s- just dumb stuff. And so um, Saturday night, I was hanging out with one of my friends and um, he says, yeah, we're going to go here and do this, do this and that. So we just all hopped in the car and went and said, well, um, if we do this, then you got to spend the night at my house. And if you spend the night at my house, then you have to go to church with us the next day, Sunday morning. So I was like, oh, okay, I don't care. I'll go to church. It doesn't matter. I don't really want to go, but I'll go because you say, well, I have to go. So um, we went to church and just real quick, the religious experience that I had on that Sunday morning, it was a disconnect for me. It was just a bunch of religious things, and I, I just, I couldn't make sense of it. I, I couldn't really understand it, and it just didn't connect with where I was in life. Then I got invited to go to a concert in San Juan Capistrano by my sister, who got saved six months previous to this. She was so excited about the Lord, she kept asking me to go to church, and I was like, I'm not going to church. I already went once. It's dumb. It's stupid. There's just dumb people. All they want is your money and that whole thing, I thought. She says, yeah, but you want to come over here because my friend that you want to date, she's going to be there at the concert. And so you want to go. So that's the only reason I went. Now, when I went into that building and I heard the message of the gospel for the first time, that God loved me, he wanted relationship with me, that he has this wonderful place called heaven and it's free for anybody that would submit their life to him. I was all in, baby. I mean, I was in. It was like the Holy Spirit, just like with a knife in my heart, that I was a sinner, that I'd done things wrong, and that God loved me through that, and he forgave me already on the cross. When I gave my life to Jesus in that moment, you with me? When you gave your life to Jesus, wherever it was, whether you were kneeling at a church service, or you were at Harvest Crusade, or at Billy Graham Crusade, or you went to a hotel room, and you heard the gospel from Chuck Smith on, you know, back in the day at Calvary Chapel, wherever it was, maybe it was over a coffee with someone at Starbucks, you gave your life to Jesus Christ. There is freedom, man. There is freedom in Jesus. All of a sudden, the sin, the guilt, the weight, everything comes off of your back. And now you just live free. I remember that. It was a Wednesday night. Thursday, I went back to high school at Capo. And I remember going into my locker, getting my stuff. Man, I was just like in tears because I I just was changed. I was renewed. The process was already starting because I had repented of the stuff that I had done that was so offensive to God. There's nothing like accepting Jesus. There is nothing. There is nothing in this world that can compare to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there will always be somebody who has their religious garb on, they have extra rules, they have traditions that will be on your heels to try and stop a move of God that has been in your life. They will always be there. Every church has them. Every religious organization has some folks that they're, I call them the theys. 
they moved in on Jesus. They tried to trap Jesus. They went into, remember last week we looked at Matthew's party? Matthew finds Jesus right at the tax collector booth. He says, come follow me. And Matthew follows Jesus. Matthew's so in love with this new relationship with God that he invites all of his friends over to his house, throws a party for Jesus, and he invites all of his tax collector, prostitute, cheats, liars, murderers, stealers. He invites all of them to the party, and they're having this amazing time, and then they show up. The religious people, the religious leaders with all of their garb on, they carry their scrolls, they have all the scripture and they're pointing the finger in everybody's spiritual chest, always looking for fault, always looking for someone else to do something wrong, never willing to look at their own life. And the moment they show up, Jesus doesn't get rattled. Jesus doesn't freak out. Jesus doesn't worry. Jesus never reacts. He's always in control. Jesus is always in action, moving only what the Father tells him to do. Now, we're picking this up. Got Matthew's party. Remember last, last week we went there, right? It was a great party, wasn't it? Now, in that same party, that group starts something else. They can't stop. It's like they can't help themselves. They have to try and stop everything Jesus... They hated Jesus, they, they hated him because he was a threat. Watch this now. Just get this intro because when we read the text, I really want you to understand the whole ball of wax that they were so afraid that Jesus was kind of take away their religious power over the people. They had this stronghold. The, the religion is do. I got to do more. I got to try and do more to get there. If I just am good enough, if, I, if I'm religious enough, if I say enough prayers, if I, if I give enough money, if I serve God enough, if I do all the things I'm supposed to do, then maybe I'll get to heaven. Jesus turns the whole thing upside down, which is where we're at for the next seven weeks. He turns the whole religious system upside down. You can never, ever, ever be good enough to get to heaven. And when I heard that for the first time, I was like, you mean I don't have to go to church to be saved? You mean I don't have to give my money? You mean I don't have to take the little juice and the little bread and communion and do good things for people and give money? I don't have to do those things to get saved? No, you already are saved when you surrendered your life to Jesus. Now we just do those things because we love God. Listen, if you're stuck right now where I have to do this, I guess we have to go to church. I guess we have to, you know, serve. I guess we have to give money. We have to do these things. I feel very sorry for you. Maybe you need to go back to your knees and check your spirit. And I don't mean that judgmentally. I just mean that so we can be free. This should not be a religious experience. This is just a party for Jesus. We're worshiping him. We're getting a little stronger through the word because we want to tell the world Jesus is awesome. He's the only one that can save your soul. He's the only one that can bring peace and joy and love and all those things that we're so searching for in the world. So hence, let's pick up this now. Remember we're at Matthew's party and they just can't, they just can't help themselves, man. These religious, ugh, they just ruin everything. And we're gonna pick it up in verse 33. And so they said to him, John's disciples often fat, meaning John the Baptist, often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. And my version is just a little bit different than what's up here, but it's the same word. Verse 34, Jesus answered, 
Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. Let's continue on verse 36. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment for the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. Thank God for that. For the new wine would burst the wine skins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. And new wine must be stored in new wine skins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Let's keep going. So one Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some of the grain fields, his disciples broke off heads of the grain, rubbed off the husks in their hands, and ate the grain. Here we go. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus replied, haven't you read? Jesus goes right back to the word. You guys are so religious, you don't even know the word. He's saying, you have read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry. We'll get to that in a second. He went into the house of God, broke the bread, uh, broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priest can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, the son of man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. And the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. Catch him. We got him. And if he healed the man's hand, they planted, watch this. This is how cruel they were. They planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew their thoughts. See, Jesus knows everything. He's not threatened. He said to the man with the deformed hand, come, stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? If this is a day to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them one by one and said to them, hold out your hand to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. One more verse at this, the enemies of Jesus, notice that enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. I believe this is the third conflict in the chapter that we're in, chapter five, and just heading into chapter six. This is the third time Jesus has to deal with these folks. But once again, Jesus is always about the word. He's always in control and he never maintains anything other than love and truth for everybody. And it's interesting that they come in and start right on the disciples of Jesus. They figure, well, we can't get Jesus, so we're going to go after the disciples of Jesus. Hey, your disciples don't fast, but John's disciples fast. We understand fasting. You guys should be fasting. Why did they say that? Why were they so on this train of fasting? Remember, we're at a party. Doritos, Diet Cokes. Remember, we went to the Costco last week. We got all all, all the the Italian meatballs. He's throwing a party and everyone's having a great time. You shouldn't be having a great time. You should be somber. You should be holy. You should be uh, uh, downcast. You should have ash over you. You Your hair should be disheveled because you're fasting. Isn't that just like religious people? They want to ruin all your fun. There's no freedom in Christ for anyone who what the Bible calls legalistic. In Leviticus 29, verse 31, the Old Testament fast was very, very specific. Just a little bit of context of why they brought this fasting thing up. 
It was Yom Kippur was the first fast. This is the day of atonement. This is very special. This was a deep introspective look that the Jewish people took. They would fast from food and they would take a honest look at themselves and their struggles and their own sin. They would not eat, but they would grieve over their own sin. Then they had one day fast, three day fast, seven day fast, uh, Daniel fast, which was three weeks. And then they had a 40 day fast. So they had all these fasts that they did. And basically God set up the fast in the Old Testament that they were required to do certain fasts because it would provide an opportunity for us to say no to something in this world and yes to God. It would be an opportunity to draw close to God. So fasting was a tool so that we could focus in on what's really important. But the fake religious leaders, they would tear their clothes when they fasted. They would not comb their hair in the morning. They wouldn't use any hair gel. They would put ash all over them so they looked pale and white and just pasty. And and they would walk down the streets and they'd kind of walk somber. Some of the things I read about the context of this, they literally walked down the streets in Jerusalem, kind of disheveled and just withdrawn. And people would say, hey, what's wrong with you? Oh, I'm fasting for the Lord. I'm giving myself to the Lord. And they would have this holier than thou attitude. Why did they do that? Because they wanted everyone else to think that they were godly. Jesus goes right for the jugular, man. Jesus on other occasions in the gospels, I mean, this is kind of R-rated stuff here. You whitewashed tombs, you hypocrites, you dead men's bones, you brood of vipers, blind guides. You think you're holy. You go to church every week. You hold the Torah. You have all the phylacteries. You have everything that the culture and the religious says, but your heart, your heart is so far from me. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are so far away. Jesus wasn't saying that to condemn them. I think Jesus was saying that so they'd get their life right. So that hopefully the Holy Spirit would come and shock them into reality. Oh my gosh, my whole religious world has come crash, crashing down. I need my heart to be engaged with God. He wanted those people to repent. Just like he wants every single person, every single human being on the face of the earth, Jesus wants every person to know his goodness and his love and his saving grace. All they cared about was looking good on the outside. How about us? We'll let that one just simmer for a little bit. I'm always preaching to me, brothers and sisters. Sunday morning, I'm always trying to look, God, where where am I so image conscious? Where am I so worried about what others think, what others say? How is it going to come across? What's going to happen here? So concerned about the OC image. Forgive me, but I just want to say one more time. I think one of the reasons that God had me stay here in South County instead of stay in Hawaii, because he wanted me to beat the OC out of us. This OC image conscious, got everything right, all the cars, all the money, all the vacations, nothing wrong with having that stuff. It's just, I'm not gonna let that rule my life. Jesus Christ is Lord over my life. So those things God has given me in the disposal to, to use to advance the gospel. Take, take people with you when you go on these great vacations. Give a car away to somebody who's in need. Don't just hoard it all. I'm so concerned about my image. And now that I'm Christian, I'm concerned about my spiritual image. You with me? This is a bad seed. This is, this is not good for us to, well, I want people to know how much of the Bible I read. So I'll just kind of slip it in here. Oh yeah, I've read the Bible like five or six times. Or I have my devotions every morning. Every morning I'm with Jesus and there's just nothing that gets in the way. 
And we just, we, we, we live in such a way that we want others to think the best of us. Can I just ask us to do something to guard against that? The things you do for Jesus are between you and Jesus. No one else. In fact, the Bible says, don't let your left hand know what the right hand's doing. Don't, don't be shouting, oh man, we serve people. We did all these wonderful things. That's between you and God. And I only say that to say this, we have been praying for revival to come to this area. That means God brings his Holy Spirit into this entire city and everyone is awestruck by the love of God and everyone gets an opportunity to give their life to Jesus Christ and become part of the community, the family that God has all over the city of Mission Viejo. We've been praying for that. So if we do not guard ourselves against pride and arrogance and thinking, dude, I'm all that spiritually, if we don't take away that kind of facade, we are gonna miss what the Holy Spirit might do. And I don't want you to miss that. I don't wanna miss that. So I'm asking us to humble ourselves before God. I'm asking us in this response to like, Matt, throw a party for Jesus. Don't worry about religious people and what they're gonna say. There always will be somebody who's legalistic, who has some dumb rule, that they're always trying to put on other Christians. Illustration number two, the old garment. The old garment. This is, this is a direct analogy that Jesus is using so we can understand what he's saying in truth. Religion, man's rules, is the old garment. We don't take a new patch and put it on old, old, old garment because you can't mix the gospel with man's religion. That's really what he's saying. You, you can't add rules to the gospel. You, you can't um, um, mix and match. We all live in this kind of euphoric state of, we just all worship the same God. Every religion's the same. We all just get along. And it's just, we're all gonna end up at the same place sometime in, in eternity. Doesn't matter what religion, what God, we just ecumenical. We just all, you, you get that stuff? That's what the world says. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus wasn't trying to exclude anybody. He was trying to include everybody. So I was washing my Mustang. Back in the day, I had a black 77 Cobra Mustang. It was awesome. And uh, it was actually the guy that I bought it from had it in Hot Rod Magazine. I wish I had the magazine because I love to show you. It was such a fun car. And so I, I, w- I just got saved and I still had the car and I'm washing it and everything in my front yard and waxing it. And these two guys come up and they're on bicycles. And they have the badges and the ties. And they just strike up a conversation. And can I just say, they were really nice guys. Very, I believe very sincere, very nice, very cordial, very open. And they had a conversation with me. Bottom line, I don't have time to get into it. Bottom line is, this is the Book of Mormon. We want you to come to Mormon church. And they invited me. And again, they were very, very nice, very sincere. That conversation right there was a pivotal point in my life because all I knew was Jesus. I had known Jesus for like six months. I didn't know the Bible much. I didn't know really of of anything other than Jesus changed my life. I walked away from that conversation asking myself, do I need to be Mormon now? Do they believe what we believe? What about Jehovah's Witnesses? What about Muslim? What about Catholic? What about, what about all these different groups? And I got all these questions with no answers. So I'm kind of frantic. I'm always kind of a hyper person. So I go over to my youth pastor and I say, my youth pastor was such a patient guy. I said, dude, you're not gonna believe these. These two guys on bicycles, are we supposed to be Mormons? And he says, calm down, dude, let me help you. So he put a book in my hand. He was always reading and studying. He put a book in my hand called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's so good. It's about a guy who's a professor. He's just genius level, just 
just some of these people that just just genius level smart, you know? And so he went out to disprove Christianity. And through his process, he laid out all the world religions. They says about 220 religious books all over the world. He laid them all out there. And he asked himself three questions. Does this book, these books, and, and there was no bias, does the, this book have any kind of, number one, external evidence to prove the validity of this being so-called a book from God? Does it have, number two, any internal evidence? And number three, what about this guy named Jesus? What does the book say about Jesus? And what about this so-called resurrection? Yeah, right. This guy came back to dead after three day, back to life after three days? No way. Bottom line is, for the sake of time, he found out so much overwhelming evidence and credibility for the Bible, not matching any other piece of man-made literature, man-made religion. He ended up giving his life to Jesus Christ, and he writes books, and he speaks all over the world. The thing that I walked away with from this little book that was about 70 pages is I sought after truth. I wanted to know who's right. And here's, here's my, at the end of the day, sifting everything out. We're all wrong, and the Bible's right. Because once I start going, well, I'm right and you're wrong, well, I'm not right about everything. But the Bible's right, God's right. There is no other religious book, no other man-made religion that even comes close to the credibility of the Bible. And I'm just saying that just mere fact. Now, the second thing about that is I know Jesus changed my life. I tried to change my life without Jesus. I couldn't do it. I used to cuss and swear all the time after tennis practice, come home. My mom goes, don't swear. I'm like, I know I shouldn't do that. And I tried, even went to YMCA camp, put a scarf on, went up to the mountains and talked to the trees. Please help me stop swearing and help me do good things. It didn't work, man. The next day I was down doing the same stuff. I tried everything I could. Jesus was the only one who could change me from the inside out. That's what he's trying to get the Pharisees to see. It's internal change. You can't do religion to get God to do what you want. Ephesians 2.8 tells us we are saved by God's grace through what? Faith. Put that in the chat. That's a wonderful talking point all over social media. Ephesians 2.8, wonderful talking point, right? All right, illustration number three, wine and wineskins. Hurry, hurry, Mike. We got to get through this. Wine skins filled with wine. The wine starts to ferment. It expands. It's going to burst the old skins. We need new skins that are soft to expand for what is on the inside. The old wine represents the Old Testament law. And take it a little further, man's rules. That's the context that Jesus is speaking here. The new wine represents the New Testament. Aren't you glad we live in the last days? Aren't you glad we live in what the Bible calls the last days? Because we're saved by grace. We don't have to follow 613 laws in order to be right with God, the big 10, which by the way, we've all broken all 10 of them. If we're just honest and real, right? At MVCC, we're just very real. Real love on mission. That's why people love Jesus so much. He was just real. He was down in the streets with people. He didn't wait in the high prayer towers and say, come to me. He went down to the people that were hurting. And the religious people didn't like that. The devil doesn't like what you're doing because number one, you're Russian and you're re reaching people in the Ukraine for the love of Jesus. He does not like that. And I'm sure you've already experienced some opposition from people who say, what are you doing? Why are you wasting your money? Why are you wasting your time? We just praise God for what you're doing. We wanna get behind what you're doing because it's the right thing to do. Jesus came to start a movement in this world. He did not come just to start the church. The church is a movement of people who love Jesus to do what Jesus called us to do, not to just have religious gatherings. And this expansion of the wineskin allows us to flex 
flexible. That's a spiritual word that's so simple. Blessed are the flexible. The ones that are so rigid with man's rules aren't gonna make it. They're not gonna make it ministry. And these people, they couldn't see their own problems. Illustration number four. There's a slide up here. I just, I would love to walk through these fields of grain. Isn't that beautiful? Reminds me of the back hills of Nebraska. My wife was raised in a little town like this. The disciples are with Jesus. You know, Jesus takes his disciples everywhere. They're not always in, this, in the synagogue. They're out in the middle of places like this, somewhat like this. And they start picking the grain and they rub it together so they can eat some of the grain. They're hungry. Oh, that's the Sabbath. Why are these guys following? How did they get there? How did those religious people get to where Jesus was and the disciples? I don't know, but they're following them. Why? Because it said when we read in this text, they're looking for a way to catch Jesus. And we got him. He broke the Sabbath. They broke the Sabbath law. The Sabbath law was there so that we could have rest. It was a gift from God that one day we would rest. And they came up with all these silly little laws. We're not talking about the law of God because the law of God is pure and right and holy. We're talking about these Pharisees who made up extra rules. They call those oral traditional rules that they'd pass down from generation to generation. And they're crazy. They had 24 chapters of the Sabbath law just on the Sabbath alone, 24 chapters, two and a half years of study, these rabbinical, study groups that they would have and they'd have to study the 24 chapters of just the Sabbath. You wouldn't be able to walk more than 3,000 feet from your home. You couldn't lift up things from one narrow place to a wide place. You couldn't carry anything heavier than a fig. You couldn't eat food larger than an olive. If you spit the olive out, you couldn't eat another olive because you had the taste on your tongue. A tailor couldn't carry his needle. You couldn't kill an insect. You couldn't boil an egg. No jewelry for women. It couldn't rub the husks of grain to eat on a Sabbath just because they were hungry. You couldn't swing a tool. You couldn't plan. You couldn't sow. You couldn't reap. You couldn't winnow. You couldn't shift. You couldn't bake. You couldn't weave two threads together. You couldn't separate two threads together. You couldn't make a knot. You couldn't undo a knot. You couldn't salt food. You couldn't build. You couldn't light a fire. You couldn't build a fire. Not in the Bible. I hope you're catching through this. We're almost done. That religion kills Rules, man-made rules will kill a revival that God wants to do because to put all the focus back on people. Didn't you love Jesus' response that we read here? You guys know the Bible. You know the Old Testament. You know King David. He was your king. Do you remember when Saul was chasing after him? And, and, and he was so tired. David was, was, was with his 30 mighty men. He was running from Saul because Saul was jealous of David's anointing from God. And he wanted what God gave to David. But you know, you can't take anything from somebody else that God gives. You got to get your own anointing from God. And so Saul couldn't figure that out because he was so stuck on himself. So he's chasing David. David hides inside of the tabernacle with his men. And there's, they're tired. They're, they're thirsty. And so he goes over to the showbread, 12 loaves of bread, only eaten by the priest in Leviticus chapter 24, verses five through nine. But then in 1 Samuel chapter 21, they go to a place called Nob. They go into the temple, into the tabernacle, and these guys are, oh my gosh, we're so hungry. David, what do we do? The priest said, it's fine. Here, eat the bread. Because you need this for sustenance. Your life is more important than the rule. What's the point of all this? What is Jesus saying? Mercy and compassion Watch this now. 
are more important than ceremony. Just fast forward the tape here. We're in 2022. There'll be like some kids who are really hungry and they go into the back room and there's all this communion trays with the bread and the juice and they start drinking the bread and the juice and somebody walks in and says, hey, you can't eat that. That's religious ceremonial food. But we're hungry. And it's an honest, it's, it's sincere. They're really hungry. That's, that's really what Jesus is trying to communicate. The Sabbath was made so men and women could rest. Now, the last thing Jesus does, he pulls all this together. I love it. A man comes in with a withered hand. Stretch out your hand. He heals the man. We caught him again on the Sabbath. Do you see the train that they're constantly on? They want to catch Jesus in anything. Jesus heals the man to show mercy and compassion. The gospel of love is more important than rules, man-made rules. I just want to tie all this together with this and then we'll close. Let's say um, our whole um, church, let's say our whole church family, we're going to go on a three-day cruise and it's all paid for by Pastor Zach. Pastor Zach's paying for the whole thing. All right? Student ministries, baby. And we're going to leave Long Beach Harbor. We leave on you know, Friday afternoon. We're so excited, man. We're going to go on this three-day cruise in Mexico. It's going to be awesome. So there's 2,000 people on this on the ship, and we go because our church is exploding now because the revival hit. And we got 2,000 people in our church. And so we're going down to Mexico, and 100 miles out, there's some horrible, tragic explosion on the ship. And the ship starts sinking fast. Just stay with me. This is hypothetical, right? This isn't any prophecy or anything. But, but so now we start jumping off the ship because there's no lifeboats. There's no life preservers in order to just grab on. We don't have any access to any of that. So we just start jumping off the ship. Everybody's treading water. 2,000 people. No one has died yet. No one has sunk. Sooner or later, someone's going to get tired, sink, and die, right? And so the Bible says that we are all sinners. Romans 3.23. Spiritually, we're all going to die. But before the first person dies, another ship comes by and the captain of the ship has, watch this, 2,000 life preservers. And he starts chucking them out to everybody. He's got enough for everyone. And he starts throwing them out. And all he says is, just grab onto the life preserver and I'll save you. What would you do? Now, I know there's some of us here, not in our church, but there might be some who would say, dude, this thing is too encumbersome. I don't want to put this thing on. I'll swim back. I can do my own way. I'll wait for a bigger boat. I don't like that captain. All these excuses, right? But some of us would just grab on. And when we grab onto the life preserver, he pulls us into the boat. We don't even have to swim. Kick, 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 kick. We don't have to do any of that stuff. He just pulls us into the boat. And once we are on the boat, we are so glad to be, what? Saved. What would our response be? Oh, well, um, when are we getting back? When are we going back to shore? Because I got things to do. No way. We would be, oh my gosh, thank you so much. We were, we were going to die and you saved us. Is there anything I can do to help you advance your cause? Right? As a matter of fact, you know what, Mike, could you fill those gas tanks? Uh, Corey, could you get over here and mop the deck? Jasmine, could you help the women and children up here? Because we need everybody to get on the boat. That's grace. That's the church. The people that were, the religious people were pulling people off the boat. That's why Jesus got so ticked off at these people. You brood of vipers, you hypocrites. You're distracting people from getting on my salvation boat. Right? 
So now we serve, we love, we do good, not to get into heaven because you already got heaven. You do those things because you're so grateful you were going to die and Jesus saved you and now your life is just one big thank you card to God. We'll finish with this. Turn to Jesus now, man. If you're here and you're not sure, do it now. I'm not saying that in any judgmental way or harsh way. I just, the urgency, accept Jesus now. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in the world. North Korea, Russia, Germany, all this stuff is converging. We don't know. We may not be here tomorrow. You don't want to waste a moment. Give your life to Jesus now, number one. Amen? Avoid people who hold you back from moving forward. Listen, I'm just going to say this. I felt like the Lord wanted me to say it. You're in some relationships now. Those people are holding you back, but it feels good to be in that relationship. There's only one who liked that. I needed to hear that. There are people that are holding you back because they have rules and regulations and they're negative and sour, bitter little people. And God is saying, I don't want you hanging I don't want you hanging around that. I want you to find freedom in me. I want you to go find somebody, tax collectors and sinners, throw a party, let people see Jesus and move forward with your life. Number three is, come on, let's be willing to make some changes. Allow us to keep moving forward. We're always making changes here at MVCC. I will tell you, you know, when we got into this building, we were so excited. We're still trying to work out some of the sound and lighting and stuff. We had some people that got really nasty at me, really nasty at some of our staff and say, this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and they left. My heart was, we're trying to still kind of regulate. We're trying to, by the way, the gospel has nothing to do with the speakers. The, the community of faith, the, my Christianity is not built on a Sunday morning hour in 10 minutes. My whole life is built on the gospel. My life group, my ministry team, this is just an hour and 15 minutes out of the whole week. So if, if, if it's a bad sermon or the lights are bad or we just can't get it regulated, last week the microphone went out and all this stuff, I'm not leaving my church. I'm not leaving the boat, right? Yeah. Jesus turned the world upside down. Let's do the same. Father, we thank you for, your word is awesome. I love that you drew a line, Jesus, and it was so crystal clear. And God, we know you want every single person to know your love and grace and mercy and find a fresh wave of who you are, God, in their hearts, internal change. And God, we want that so much, God. We want, God, so much for our world to be found by you, people in our life, specifically our neighbors, friends, coworkers, family, people that are just lost without you, God. And God, we pray, I pray against any religious spirit here at Mission Vale Christian Church that man-made rules will never, never overrule the gospel. Help us to stay true to that with humility and love and compassion. God, if there's anyone here today that says, yep, you know what, Mike? This is my day. I want to give my life to Jesus now. I want to ask you just, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I just want you to pray with me. We're going to receive Jesus right now. You ready? Lord, we just give you our life. I just recommit my life to you, God, even in this moment. I receive you now, Jesus, for the first time. Someone here needs to do that. I confess to you, God, I've done wrong. I've sinned. I've broken your rules. Forgive me, God. Please forgive me. Help me to receive your Holy Spirit now. I want to live for you every day of my life, God. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on the cross. And I make that commitment in Jesus' name. Amen. If you gave your life to Jesus this morning, 
we want to help you in the connection point in the back. We just want to help you in some of your first steps. If you feel like your life is spinning out of control and you feel like you heard something today or through the worship or something God spoke to you about, come on, let's spin it back into place. We want to help you at Connect. There's pastors there. We love you guys. We want to help you. And I just want to say on behalf of our pastoral team, we don't have it all together. We're still working this thing out, but God has given us the privilege to help you. And we want to do that. This communion time right now is just a couple of minutes just to remember and reflect why we're here. We're here because of the cross. We're here because Jesus saved us. And we're so glad and we just want to say thank you. You know, the Bible says when we take this communion, this grape juice and this bread, that we ought to examine ourselves. I always thought that to be negative. Look at every bad thing in my life. And I think I should. I think I should look at the stuff that I'm doing wrong. But I also think that means examine myself in grace. I'm not going to let the devil lie to me. I'm not going to let the devil lie to me and say, you're not saved. God doesn't love you. You got to, right? So examining myself means I'm saved. I'm sanctified. I'm holy because of Jesus. And God helped me to focus in on the cross. So Lord, we just thank you for the cross, our salvation, everything. You're so good. I pray these few moments will be so reflective. It will be God life-changing in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.